Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we are your co-hosts. So this week, I'm going to be talking about something that I'm passionate about in both a culinary way, but it also has some cool magical properties, chili peppers. Ooh, very exciting. And I am covering Egyptian sun worship and Horus. So buckle up, you guys. This uh, The theme of this episode is Spicy Girl Summer. Mm, that's right. Spicy Girl Summer. So I'm very passionate about chili peppers. Uh, growing up in Texas, there was like obviously no shortage of them around. I was literally like eating salsa and spicy foods as soon as I was able to like reach the table. I think it's very much a way of life. Um, and now like as an adult, there's always a ton of them in my fridge at home. And I also have a bunch of them growing in my container garden. So I've got mammoth jalapenos, poblanos and purple bell peppers um, growing right now in my little grow bags. And as of today, Every single one of my pepper varieties has at least the flowers on them, and my mammoth jalapenos have already started fruiting. So pepper season, y'all. I'm so excited. Pepper season. And I do love that like peppers are in season during like the hottest part of the summer. There's just something that seems very appropriate about that for them. Right, right. And it's great because they're also like one of those fruits because they are considered fruits that are super easy to store, which is great. And we'll talk a little bit about it later. Um, But of course, like there are more varieties of pepper than I think any of us could possibly imagine. And I want to try them all at some point. And seriously, I've already made a big ass dent. I eat a lot of different varieties of peppers, Um, but they did originate in Mexico. And then they spread across the world where they made their way into food and traditional medicines and cultures all over the place. And I'm not going to do like a whole medicinal benefit section here because peppers is a bit too broad (laughs) to really get into it. Um, But a quick rundown of like some of the general health benefits that you'll find like across peppers are um, they help with inflammation, lowering blood pressure. They do have a boatload of vitamin C. They can help improve your metabolism. Ironically, they can also help soothe intestinal diseases, which is... um, Probably not what you would think about with them if you've ever eaten a bit too much spicy food. Uh, And I think my favorite medicinal use for them, though, is to include them in fire cider, which I'm assuming most people are familiar with. But fire cider is a folk remedy. It helps ward off the cold and flu. And it has like a ton of health benefits. A lot of it is has to do with like your immune system. And fire ciders are typically made with raw, unfiltered apple cider vinegar, which contains the mother, which is like a collection of proteins and friendly bacteria that helps with digestion. If you've ever seen like a bottle of Bragg's ACV, usually theirs has the mother in it. And it it kind of looks a little bit like the yeast that you see in homebrewed kombucha. So that's a very important part. Um, And then the vinegar is infused with like onion, ginger, horseradish, peppers, garlic, and fruits. Although a lot of recipes kind of like vary in the specific ingredients and ratios. And a lot of people have sort of their own like family recipe of it. But basically all you do is like scrub and peel your ingredients, 
chop them up, put them in a mason jar, cover them with the ACV, including the mother, and then put it in like a dark, cool place to chill for a month and just periodically shake it. And fire cider is awesome. You can like take a couple of shots if you start feeling under the weather. Uh, We like to add it sometimes to hot toddies, which can be a fun way to indulge in it. And if something like, you know, if eating vinegar or just like drinking straight vinegar is too much for you, you can also think about adding maybe some raw unfiltered honey to the shot before you take it, which will have good benefits for like allergies as well. So lots of good stuff can be done with that. But And also just like a super hot tip with all of these like post-mask colds going around. Yeah, yeah. That is a... That is like a new thing that we're all confronting. Uh, Our immune systems have basically had a fucking year-long vacation, if you've been able to be inside for the most part. Um, So yeah, I know a lot of people have been feeling real under the weather. So that's a very good point to make there. Yeah, well, I mean, and you know, Ben is having one of those post-mask world colds right this very moment. So which is why I'm recording from home yet again. Yeah, yeah. So be safe out there, y'all. Like, keep washing your hands, be careful, etc, etc. But onward. So I mentioned there are probably more varieties of pepper than you can imagine. There are quite literally more than 50,000 different types. So I've decided for this segment, we're going to narrow it down a little bit to the species um, Capsicum anum. And all peppers that are grown in North America are believed to be derived from this species. And it includes some of like the most common peppers that we eat here in North America, including things like bell peppers, jalapenos, cayenne peppers, and New Mexico chilies. And the name Anum is actually a bit of a misnomer. So these aren't actually annuals, but they are frost tender. So if you get freezing temps, you're just going to replant your peppers each year. But if you're in a warm, dry climate, they can actually survive for multiple seasons. And they get into like kind of shrubby boys, like they they shrub out a little bit, which I think is kind of cute. And we'll see if I do that with my peppers. I definitely ripped up my red bell pepper plants after last year, but it was because I was like very much still learning. (laughs) And so the plant wasn't as healthy as I would have wanted it to be. But all of my pepper plants this year are doing really well. So I think I'm going to give it a shot and like keeping them going. Um, They do produce like small off-white flowers that give way to the tasty little peppery fruits that we eat. And they're generally self-pollinating, but insect visitation helps like increase the fruit size and the speed of ripening. And it also helps ensure that you get symmetrical development. So, you know, even though you don't need pollinators, I think it's always, you know, a benefit to have them. So I always recommend like if you're planting anything in your garden, even if it's like just a bunch of peppers, it's always, I think, a good idea to plant something else that also like attracts pollinators. Even if you don't technically need it for the fruit, I always like to do like a one for them, one for me type of thing in my garden. You know, we can give back to all of our pollinating friends. Um, And pepper flowers have like their nectaries are at the base of the corolla, which does help attract the pollinators. And the anthers don't actually release pollen except via um, this method that's called buzz pollination. And it's super cool. It's it's basically when buzz, uh, when bees use their like buzzing to release the anthers that are holding on like tight to the pollen. So it works as like these sonic vibrations on certain plants. That's how their pollen is released. And I just think that's like really cool. Bees are awesome. 
So as far as like naming is concerned, I know we have listeners from kind of a few different parts of the world. Um, the larger, sweeter variants are apparently called capsicums in Australia and New Zealand, uh, according to the internet. So y'all let me know if that's like super Ooh, I off. Actu- actually, well, you know, you know this about me, but um, for everyone that doesn't know, I watch a lot of Australian television. So that's true. I, I can confirm this just right <laughs> off the bat. Absolutely. Good. Good. Okay. Well, Nick confirms. Um, they're just called peppers in the UK, but in the US, we we really specifically call them bell peppers, which is what I'll refer to them as. So I'm not well, trying to because be... we got we got lots of peppers here. Yeah, and we eat lots of peppers. It's not even just the access. It's like, nah, y'all. Like we eat them all. So we it's like so peppers. it's like if you're in the UK and the spiciest thing you've ever had was like black pepper, you're like bell peppers are good enough for me those are the peppers those are the peppers for us yeah right it's like peppers is is a very broad umbrella Uh, and the smaller hotter varieties are called you know like chilies or chili peppers in some parts of the u.s we just call them peppers and chilies can be spelled about eight thousand different ways so you know i just i'm always interested in like entomology and and the way language evolves but i i mostly wanted to talk about these today because these are actually like excellent candidates for growing in containers. And I think container gardening, especially with edibles, is awesome because it makes it accessible to so many people. Like you don't have to have a big yard. All you need is a patio or like even a little stoop could handle some peppers. So let's talk about how you can grow like a tasty harvest for yourself, even if you don't have a lot of outdoor space. So first and foremost, you're going to want to find like your best location, right? So peppers need at least five hours of direct sunlight per day. And that's the minimum. The more light you can give them, the better they'll grow. But if you don't have that, I've seen plenty of people online that do grow peppers using grow lights. So just, you know, make it work for yourself. I know edibles can be a little bit more light demanding than a lot of houseplants that we have. So if you haven't ever experimented with grow lights, maybe doing like a little pot of like jalapenos can be your sort of like entry into the grow light world. Um, the, you do want to find something though, like with excellent drainage, as far as the pot is concerned. I mean, no surprise there. Uh, I I've mentioned before, but I'm using grow bags this season and I have been super happy with how well it's working out. I've got some tomato plants that are literally like four feet tall now. So I'm like any fucking day now, those bad boys are going to flower and start giving me some tomatoes. Um, but they're awesome because it's like, basically impossible to overwater as long as the plants are getting the light that they need, but they're also super easy to move around. And so for people like me that have more limited space, grow bags are awesome because, you know, maybe one of your plants up front kind of like shoots up. Well, you can like rotate stuff so it's easy to reach. And it also is nice to be able to like move them around because sometimes you'll get like bugs and stuff that like make homes under the grow bags. So, you know, I I think they're great. And they're also way more affordable than buying a bunch of like super big pots. Um, And this is also a great plant for you guys that really like to water stuff because you actually should never let your peppers dry all the way out. Like, can you believe that we're saying this right now? I'm honest. I'm shook. Yeah. Don't let them dry all the way out. They're also really heavy feeders, which is kind of the the case for most edibles in general because they are producing fruits and vegetables. Um, so 
you're going to want to like find a good organic fertilizer that you'll apply basically every other week or so in the growing season. You do want to make sure the fertilizer is well balanced, but also look for something that includes magnesium and calcium. This is something you'll find a lot in like fertilizers that are meant for things like peppers and tomatoes because it helps prevent the plant from like stressing out while it's fruiting. Um, And if your plant is hungry, you'll notice that the leaves that are coming in will be a little pale. You won't get a lot of flowers. Um, You know, it kind of like gives you some signs, right? So like pay attention to your plant and you'll get to know what it needs. But this is also why it's important to do these things like season after season, right? So I grew red bell peppers last season. It was like fine. Like it wasn't the most successful thing I've ever done, but I learned a lot. And so this year it's like all of my pepper plants are doing super badass. And so it's also just about like practicing. So even if you get a pepper plant this first year and you get like one edible pepper and it kind of feels like a giant pain in the ass, just remember that like you're going to learn so much that you can take with you next season. So once your plant starts like growing up, you're going to notice you're going to want to like stake or cage most of your peppers. So the way that I personally have done it this year is I actually just bought a bunch of like really affordable cages for my local nursery and I'm using them sort of like across the board for tomatoes and peppers. I did have to buy bamboo stakes specifically for my pole beans, but like that's another episode. But I think that's probably the easiest way to do it. You know, just find like one type of cage that's really sturdy and just buy a bunch of them. There's no sense in getting into like super specialized stuff if you're growing in containers and have limited space. Like, you know, be nice to yourself. (laughs) Um, And for bell peppers, you're going to want to like, Um, you're going to want to make sure that they have something that's like reasonably tall because bell uh, bell pepper plants, I think, are going to get a little taller than you realize. And jalapenos in particular also get kind of like wimpy in the stem once they get taller. So you want to make sure like they have a good steak. So just keep an eye on it. Um, For most fruiting or vegetable producing plants, you're going to want some kind of support system. And I've just found that like cages are the most affordable, easily accessible option. And if you take good care of them, you can use them season after season. So you've done all of this hard work, but now you want to know when to pick them. Yeah. Oh, of course. course. (laughs) Again, there are more than 50,000 varieties. So selfishly, I'm actually just focusing on like a few that I'm growing to talk about. And there are some really great resources for others, but you know, for bell peppers, for example, you're going to want to wait until they're about like three and a half to four inches in diameter and firm to the touch. But something that's really important to remember is if you planted a variety other than just green bell peppers, you're going to want to wait until it's turned the expected color to harvest it. The color is not going to change once you take it off the plant. So for me, I have like tiny, tiny little buds starting to come out of the center of the flowers on my purple bell pepper plants. I'm not going to pick those bad boys until they're fully purple. Um, jalapeno peppers can be picked as soon as they're like a deep green and about three inches long for the standard ones. Mammoth jalapenos can get a lot longer than that. Um, jalapenos are the most crisp when they're green, but they're also really mild at that time. So when ripening though, jalapenos go from like green to dark green, and then they start turning red. And then when they're fully mature and they're like that red and they start getting a bit of like the corking, then they have sort of like a sweet, hot flavor. So with jalapenos, you can kind of like determine the flavor profile based on when you harvest it. 
And poblano peppers, which are one of my very favorite peppers, um, are, of course, like a larger pepper variety. They will get to be about like four inches long and two and a half inches wide. And they're really, really dark green until they're fully mature, at which point they turn sort of like a reddish brown in color and they get sweeter. So again, it's like if you're wanting to like make chili rellenos, you're going to want to cut those poblanos off when they're a little bit more green. That way they're not quite as sweet. They're also going to be a little bit crispier so they can handle being like fried um, or stuffed. And if you want to use them just in like, you know, maybe you want to make some badass fajitas, you can wait until they're like fully ripe. And then they have that like sweet, hot flavor. Um, I also do think like sweet, hot flavor uh, peppers, I think would be really badass and fire cider, just like as an aside. Oh, I mean, it, it, those those red jalapenos, that's what they make sriracha out of, I do believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, I, that's like, one of my favorite uh, hot sauces, especially on scrambled eggs. <laughs> oh my god, I go through so much sriracha. Like, it's not even, it's but not it's even the, funny. It's the sweetness, yeah, because it's like the yeah. heat, the heat you're getting the whole time, but like that sweetness that comes in, that kind of like, mm, mm, it's, mm. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like, wait for it. I it's mean, all about the balance. It's all I, about the balance. I, I love sweet hot. I mean, we just got, I can't remember the brand, but my favorite like chocolate bar that I get and I find them at Whole Foods sometimes, it's like a firecracker chocolate bar and it's dark chocolate with cayenne and pop rocks in it. Oh, wow. And uh, it's like a party. That does sound, that does sound nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, but to harvest the peppers, you're going to want to like get a knife or garden clippers to do this. And of course you'll want something that's been sterilized and that's going to help you prevent like damage to the plant when you're harvesting. Like, please don't just like yank peppers off of your plant. Like you're going to break something and then you're going to be sad. Um, And also just remember, like do wash your hands still before touching your eyes because I think sometimes you forget if you're not in the kitchen that you're still fucking touching peppers. And I've definitely done it before where I'm like in the garden and I've like plucked something and then I like go to like wipe sweat off my face and I'm like, fuck, I feel like I maced myself. So don't do that. Um, (laughs) And also a, a general rule of thumb for like most fruits and veg is to harvest when the plants are dry. And that's so you can avoid spreading disease. Because even if you can't see any signs, there could potentially be disease. And it's just, it's always better to be safe than sorry, because growing vegetables at home And I mean, just growing vegetables in general, but I'm not a commercial farmer. There are so many different like bacteria and diseases and blights and things that are going to kill your plants. And first of all, if that happens to you, no shame, like that shit happens to everybody, no matter how long they've been taking care of plants. And sometimes you can do everything right and still have issues. But it's important to remember that even when you're harvesting, like you still want to be careful, like you do need to go into this with like... I tend to use a lot more care and caution when I'm doing like my edibles gardening than I do with like my house plants because I'm not eating my house plants or relying on my house plants to make food. So sometimes, you know, they don't necessarily get the hand holding that my tomato plants do. And that's okay. Um, so after you've picked them, like there's so many things you can do with them, right? Like you can eat them right away. You can pickle them or you can even dry them for later use. So, you know, if you want to pick them when you have this huge, beautiful summer harvest, I think drying some of them is like a really great idea um, because then you can also use them later 
or magic. Oh. Uh, right? So there's a segue. Uh, this Peppers are a masculine plant. And Nick, I think this might shock you, but um, they're also associated with the element fire and the planet Mars. <gasps> what? I'm I know. shocked. Shocked and odd. Um, so these are good for use in magic related to like love, fidelity, and hex breaking. And like red pepper, specifically like cayenne, has been used in a lot of like love powders historically to like inflame your lovers or to ensure that the love you find is spicy. So I think these are like a great choice for culinary magic for anyone who like appreciates a spicy meal. Like kitchen witchery is something that's super easy to do basically every day because we all got to eat, right? So, you know, next time you're whipping up a a meal for your bae, put in a little bit of cayenne, put in a little bit of spice, stir in some like sexy intention, right? That's a really easy day-to-day spell. Um, Cunningham also includes this note, and I've seen this like repeated on and on and on forever and ever amen on the internet that if you feel like your mate has a wandering eye you can tie two dried chilies together with a ribbon and put them under your pillow but i'm gonna disagree here and i know we're a very sleep sachet positive podcast but bear with me (laughs) i was wondering Uh, how we were gonna get peppers into a sleep sachet right so if you sleep with pets like I do, which my willow, my dog sleeps with us, or you move around a lot. Um, there's like a lot of opportunity for some bad news bear situation. If you're sleeping with dried peppers in your bed, um, really like, I just can imagine all of the ways that that could like get into your eye or like a piece of it flex off and goes up your nose and you know, all of this discomfort. But I also get really like wary about magical suggestions like this when I see them, because like, abusive or neglectful relationships like aren't something that you can fix with magic and spell work like self-respect and self-love are what you need the most and maybe a push to leave if you need to and like we're very much here to listen if you ever want to talk about relationship issues nick and i have had our share of relationship problems absolutely But yeah, I just, I don't know. And Nick, maybe you have a different feeling. But when I see stuff like that, I'm like, no, man, if you feel like your partner has a wandering eye, you need to number one, communicate about it. And if they do, fuck off. If you're, of course, if you're in like polyamorous relationship, not yucking anyone's yum, but like if you're in a monogamous relationship with somebody and they have a wandering eye or you're worried about them cheating or they are doing that, that's not okay, man. Fuck them. It's not on you to fix it with spell work. It's on them to fix their self. So very much so. And yeah, we are we are here to chat if anyone uh is is going through it because I mean yeah. it's it's uh it's a weird weird time we're living through too, you know, it's like stuff's opening up, uh people are out and about again. I'm sure a lot yeah. of this stuff is gonna be coming to the surface. Uh around yeah. around this time so it's like horny summer but so i used a few sources today um our dear close personal friend wikipedia uh gardeningknowhow.com which is great growveg.com of course cunning hands encyclopedia of magical herbs and also there's this really cool website called chilipeppermadness.com that is full of like all sorts of info and recipes about like basically every chili pepper you can imagine so please do check it out. This is not a paid ad. I just like went into a rabbit hole on this website and had a great time. 
I, I mean, it does sound like a great time, Chili Pepper Madness. Like, I'm sure right. it's a fun. I'm sure it's a fun website. Uh, can I hop in here with some yeah. Ina, Ina Garten barefoot Contessa bullshit? Because I actually learned this recently, completely unrelated to the making of this episode. But um, I recently learned, and you know, since we're talking about um, using peppers for magic, and you know, you're talking about. Your, your chili powders and your, uh, you know, your cayenne. Uh, paprika is red bell pepper. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, I knew it must be some kind of pepper, but you know how like peppercorns have nothing to do with actual peppers. Right. Like I was like, what the fuck is paprika? And uh, yeah. So for, yeah. you know, for if, if you don't have cayenne or chili powder, you, you probably have some fucking paprika for your deviled eggs or whatever. Right. And I realized I, um, I also like skipped over this, but speaking of cayenne, like if you're worried that someone has hexed you guys or has placed a negative spell on you, you can like sprinkle like chili powder or cayenne powder around your home to break the hex and to like protect you. So I think it would be great to add to something like that salt and sunflower blend that Nick oh, mentioned. Abs- absolutely. Like, yeah. Cause then it'll also help protect you from negative spells. But as an added bonus, I'm like, I can't believe I missed this part. Uh, cayenne powder is also perfect in the garden for keeping squirrels from like digging up your plants and taking your veggies away. So I always have a fuck ton of cayenne around and it's because it's like, you can break hexes, and also deter squirrels at the same time, which I feel like is like a hedge witch pro tip. Oh my right gosh, yeah, yeah, because fuck <laughs> those damn squirrels. Dude, fucking squirrels. Like I, it, before I was able to like really get on the cayenne train was having a very hard time with squirrels, like burying shit in my pots. And like, look, I get it. Cohabitation, yada, 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 whatever. But like fucking squirrels will wreak havoc on a garden. And so I've just started using cayenne. And it turns out that for the most part, they smell the heat. They're not actually touching it. And it's a lot safer than some of like the other like poisons and deterrents. So, you know, all things considered, it's a really easy way to do like pest management. But also you can use a you can use um, cinnamon powder to help prevent damping off because it's like a good antibacterial and antifungal. So just like two really great spices to use in your garden. Love it. So we, you know, we kind of wanted to do this QWP uh, about white people doing voodoo. And so kind of before we're jumping in, I did want to kind of go over why we're doing that. Um, So if you are interested in working more with peppers in your craft, which we are absolutely encouraging to do, you may find yourself on ye olde Google um, looking up, looking up spells to do that feature peppers. And again, we are encouraging you to do that. Hell yeah. A lot. There is so much lore and craft from voodoo and hoodoo that involves chili peppers. And uh, we kind of wanted to tell you why, if you're white, that's not for you. Uh, So, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah, today we wanted to like talk to you guys about like voodoo, hoodoo, right? And specifically, like this very weird obsession in the West that like white people have 
with like co-opting religions and practices that aren't ours without actually doing enough research to know what is and isn't appropriate. And just as a side note, Kabbalah is another topic here that we should cover at some point, but I digress. Um, So voodoo spelled with a U, V-O-D-O-U, is a religion that's associated with Haiti, West Africa, and Norlands now, although it's spelled voodoo with a V-O-O-D-O-O in the case of Louisiana voodoo. So because it originated in West Africa, and as time passed, like many practitioners of the voodoo religion were enslaved and came under the influence of Catholicism, which was like the colonizer and slaver religion of the region. So the history of Louisiana voodoo, which is the thing that most Americans are familiar with, is completely entangled with the history of slavery. You know, the practices of using charms and amulets and the knowledge of herbs and poisons were all inherited from like Haitian and West African voodoo religion. Um, For when you get into the voodoo religion, there's also this like very strict sort of breakdown between like the religion and like the folk magic aspect of it. But that's not something we're really going to get into. Um, but it's important to also know, and I didn't know this before doing more of the research, but the community of enslaved people in Louisiana was actually a lot less fragmented than other places in the U.S. because of a Catholic code that enabled families to stay together, which is how family practices and traditions were able to be passed down through family lines, which is why you do see like a stronger you know, culture around voodoo, specifically in Louisiana and New Orleans. So historically, and by historically, you don't actually have to go back that fucking far. Um, Voodoo has been uh, misrepresented. You know, a lot of times it's been sort of used to portray black people as dangerous and primitive, and especially to paint black men as sexual predators who perform sexual assaults in the context of the practice. And now, of course, like, we know this is in no way true. And it's just another result of like white supremacy and the total dehumanization of black people. And specifically at that point, the dehumanization of enslaved black people. And so this is where we get into like the conversation that we need to have today, right? Like witchcraft is such an important part of my life and the lives of so many people, but there are a lot of ways we can do it without stealing from other people's culture. And I wanted to start with like a very, very big reminder Not everyone who practices spirituality that looks witchy identifies as a witch. And labeling their sacred practices or rituals as magic is not only offensive, but it's building on this this, legacy of demonizing people of color. And there's also like a big difference between folk magic and the formal religions that were born out of slavery and colonialism, which includes things like voodoo as well as Santeria and Condomble. So the most important thing you can do first and foremost as a magic practitioner is to learn the history of your magical practices and where they came from, right? Like there's no excuse for continuing like colonialist harm when we can very easily learn better. So, you know, just don't think it's possible to become a voodoo priestess with online research. Uh, That's just not how it works. And anyone who claims otherwise is like really misinformed or simply an asshole with no respect for the practice. And again, like, 
it's important to remember the distinction that like voodoo spelled with a U is a religion and it has like a hierarchy and a priesthood and the magical work performed within that religion is exclusively the domain of the priesthood. Um, it's performed with the aid of the Iwa and is not accessible to anyone and everyone. And the voodoo practices in Louisiana are a strand of this African religion and are also a direct result of the slave trade. The fact that there's so much Catholic iconography in Louisiana and voodoo is a result of colonialism. So you can see why it is incredibly offensive for white Americans to try and dabble in voodoo or make light of it. Like it's super not okay. And if you are interested in learning more about voodoo, like I definitely encourage you to go to New Orleans, like go, you can pay practitioners of voodoo for like readings. A lot of them will sell things like, you know, amulets and you can buy them directly from people that are voodoo practitioners that have familial lineage. Like that's, I, from my understanding, most people seem to agree that something like that is okay because that's appreciation. You're paying the culture for it. You're not doing it yourself. Um, If I ever find out that a Wands and Fronds listener who is not of black ancestry in the u.s is selling voodoo dolls on etsy we're gonna have a fucking talk we're gonna have a little chat about it and i would say it is important to think about here as well um to not appropriate voodoo practice voodoo and hoodoo practices uh and try to rebrand them because i have seen i have seen a lot of that and uh uh-huh it's not your thing you know so you can't just like change the name of it And then still do it. Yeah. It's not okay. And there's so much magical work out there that can be done that doesn't involve cultural appropriation. Like, there are just so many things you can do that don't. So I I do want to point out, I used a couple of sources because I I wanted to make sure to find sources that weren't written by white people. Um, So The Appropriation of Magic, How White People Demonize Voodoo by Nadia Lee for brizomagazine.com. Uh, How to Be a Witch Without Stealing Other People's Cultures by Jess Joho and Morgan Sung for Mashable.com, and also KiwiMojo.com. And KiwiMojo.com is run by um, a voodoo, like with a U, priestess, like of the religion. And so if you're interested in learning more about the voodoo religion and the way that people that practice that Haitian religion sort of see the differences between like the faith practice and like the magical practice. I think a website like that is fascinating. It's run by people that are practicing in the religion. So if you're interested in learning, there are some great resources, but again, just because you're learning doesn't mean that you can just steal it and decide to use it in your practice. Right. That's not learning. That's That's, stealing. That's stealing. No, 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 no white people. Uh, so yeah, um, that was, that was a good QWP. I think it's important to say, uh, so thank you, Shannon. Yeah. And thank you, Nick. (laughs) And, uh, so we're moving on though. We're, so we're, so we're talking about like, it's the peak of summer, like midsummer was this week, uh, which was great. And here we are. We also have that full moon this week, you guys, which. Oof. That was a doozy. It was a real doozy. And of course, so we're recording like Monday. Y'all were here at Friday. But anywho, that full moon really was a lot. But no, uh, but it's hot. And I'm in Texas. Uh, so it's it's been hot. Um, yeah. And we just had like 
I, like the first really, really bad heat wave in the West Coast. And I know that for people that are in the South, hearing that it's getting into like the 90s and the hundreds is like, oh, you know, it's not a huge deal. People in the South deal with that all the time. But I, I would just like to remind people that most places in California don't have central air that are near the coast because uh, climate change has made it get that hot, but it didn't always do that. So lots of cooling centers had to be opened. It's fucking boiling. It's it's very hot. And uh, so that's kind of the theme of this episode. So we're talking about Egyptian sun worship, uh, which I was so excited to do a little research about. And in our quest to find like the right content for the spicy midsummer episode, uh, we're, we're talking about sun worshiping and, sort of like candles, which we were just talking about, uh, the Egyptians might not have been the only ancient civilization to come up with the sun god, but they were the first, and they kind of made a huge deal about it. So uh, that's that's who we're talking about. Uh, And I think it is good to note here that in modern times, we sort of think of Egypt as like having a huge pantheon, which is true. But the thing with the Egyptian pantheon is that you have Ra, who comes first, the god of the sun. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Um, And a lot of the mythology around it is that Ra, well, first of all, I mean, we're going to talk about it all here in a second, but a lot of the different gods in the Egyptian pantheon are kind of seen as aspects of Ra, the original creator god. Uh, cause he's, they, I would say, you know, non-binary even because, uh, also God, there's goddesses in the Egyptian pantheon. So let's just say Ra is non-binary. That's canonical now. Um, I do think that's a good thing to point out because it is very different, especially if you're thinking about like contrasting it with like the other mythologies that we're very familiar with in the West, like specifically Greek and Roman mythologies, the way that Ra relates to the other deities in Egyptian culture is significantly different. Yes. So it, it's just just kind of something to think about that, uh, yes, they do have this huge pantheon of different gods, which are sort of seen as their their own entities and part of this larger Ra thing. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, we, but, you know, we also kind of get caught up in, like, the pyramids and the mummies and the cats, but kind of looming large over all of that, literally, in most of the art, is the sun. You mean it's not aliens? Because that's what the History Channel has taught me. (laughs) And, And I actually, I was, okay, I was really stoned watching Ancient Aliens recently, and it's, it yeah, it's fucking nutty. Oh my god, it's it's mostly just racist. It's just people that are like, there's no way non-Europeans could have done anything. Right. But it's like, (laughs) but it's really, it's also like, it's obviously the sun. Like, everyone, every little kid draws the sun with the rays coming out of it. And that's not a UFO. That's the fucking sun. Okay. It's like what, suddenly you're going to break into every, like, preschool art like art class and talk about all the weird UFO sightings that the four-year-olds have had. No, right. no, weirdos. no, y'all are doing the most, but okay. But the anyway. sun, but the sun was the captain of the team, so to speak. And like really held that spot 
the whole time, which when we're talking about Egypt is an incredibly long time. We're talking like five, 6,000 years of just continuous Egyptian culture, uh, which is a, just a really long time. Uh, so, but okay, so we're going to talk about this a little bit at the end. But one very persistent idea about the sun that Egyptians sort of, you know, well, because we, we talk about like 6,000-ish uninterrupted years of Egyptian culture, but actually the kingdoms in Egypt rose and fell pretty regularly. They have a bunch of these intermediary periods where there's like no pharaohs in charge at all. They kind of break down into fighting each other and then they pick a new pharaoh. And it, it, I mean, it's, you know, it's not fully continuous but one of the things that comes and goes is that the sun the different aspects of the sun are three different gods almost like a trinity hold your horses though because we're going to talk about later i know i know but (laughs) so um we've got horus who we are talking about in this episode representing the morning sun but also that aspect of sort of the sunrise was sometimes represented by a dung beetle rolling the sun up over the horizon so that's kind of fun too yeah that's super uh, precious but you know it's like the the rebirthed fresh new aspect coincidentally you know talking about horrors later so he's gonna have his time to shine later on uh, we've got Ra representing like the peak of the midday sun like the most powerful aspect of all and then the uh the bull or sometimes ram-horned Osiris, representing the setting sun and the transition to nighttime. And uh, a funny thing here is that uh, we can't really blame them. They literally had no idea what was going on. But it, it is sort of funny to think about sort of just not knowing where the sun went at night. I know, uh, I love that. Uh, so you have like the like this whole myth that the sun transforms into Osiris at night and oversees the world of death and sort of like the Egyptian underworld. And they literally thought it was like the underworld. So like they thought the world was flat, the sun went down and then Osiris is on a journey through the, uh, like underneath you now, like on the (laughs) other side. So they weren't exactly wrong. Uh, You know, it's on the other side, but uh, that's just, uh, you know, like North and South America and Australia and stuff over there, you guys. So um, that's that's where it's going. Uh, (laughs) But no, it's sort of like the mental image of sort of like an Egyptian priest being like, where does it go? Uh, And then they had a whole myth about it. So it's pretty funny to me. Uh, So but in all serious in all seriousness, though. It does sort of make logical sense that one of the first civilizations with large-scale agriculture and, like, a fully settled population was obsessed with the sun. Because it was literally, like, the bringer of life, you know? Like, uh, you couldn't have the Egyptian lifestyle without the sun. Uh, But, I mean, it was also their clock. It was also their calendar, in so much as, you know, also the moon was their calendar, but they weren't really, like, as into the moon as, like, the Greeks or the Romans were. They were like, the sun. The sun is everything. The sun is a big deal. It's like a celebrity. It's like a star. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Um, And so 
fashion and art-wise, the sun shows up everywhere. Like, you look at these sort of Egyptian relief paintings, the sun is, like, huge, in the middle, kind of over everything. Um, You know, it's on the pharaoh. You know, some of the pharaohs would have the sun on their staff. Uh, The the queens, you know, the, the pharaoh queens, of which there were a few, these seem to have kind of, like, a handle on gender equality in the Egyptian ruling class uh, would would have, you know, sometimes a sun disc on her crown, uh, which actually, speaking of putting sun discs on hats, that there's a funny bit in the story about Horus uh, that involves putting a sun disc on a hat. So, uh, but they're, <laughs> put they're it on a hat. Put it on a hat. Uh, but they're, but they're, but they're everywhere. And like they're not just everywhere they're given like pride of place so since we're talking about Horus soon we and we really ought to do a segment about just Ra like the story of Ra the god not how Egyptians worshiped the sun uh but but that's the focus is how did the Egyptians worship the sun so uh coming as a surprise to absolutely nobody and especially not the druids, although it might be a surprise to the aliens. Some of the <laughs> oldest evidence we have that the sun was a huge deal in Egypt are uh, ceremonial stone circles that line up with the winter solstice. So, you guys, these date back as far as 5000 BCE. And they sort of have like a serious Stonehenge passage tomb vibe for all the celtic leaning witches out there and i know quite a few of you are so you know that's kind of a way to think about it but we're not talking about stonehenge we're talking about like uh like a much simpler sort of less refined version but it does line up with the uh the sunrise on the winter solstice so there you have it um in the egyptian creation myth Ra is the first god to rise out of the Ocean of Chaos. And what a cool band name, Ocean of Chaos. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, if anyone wants to use that, please do. Uh, onto I know, that's, the, like, that's excellent. Right. I mean, I, it's like a, I, it's, I think it's a metal band, but what do I know? Um, so onto the Primordial Hill. So apparently the whole world at one point was just one hill. And Ra rises out of the ocean of chaos and forms himself into himself. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, I, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. We're, he self-actualized we're, real hard. Yeah, he really, really, really manifested himself <laughs> uh, into existence, uh, but also creates the original eight gods of the Egyptian pantheon. And, you know, sort of much like, the Greek and Roman pantheons, there's a lot of baby having and incest and, and things that go on, but but the original, the original eight, that's, he's like, come on, you guys, I need some company. So uh, the sun is responsible for creating everything, and you absolutely have to respect that. Uh, so being the OG big boss means that it also is not surprising that the oldest seat of religion in Egypt was known by the Greeks as Heliopolis, which it means the city of the sun. Um, 
which which Fair so- enough. which <laughs> sounds very like a very nice place to visit. Uh, and so it was a whole city of temples and priesthoods devoted to the sun god. And uh, as I was talking about early, his many and varied incarnations and combinations, because they would they would kind of combine gods in the Egyptian pantheon for specific purposes. So it was not out of place to see like a, a combo god that was like Ra plus. So there's, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And that kind of speaks to the nature of Ra, the sun god, being like this multifaceted thing. Um, but it was also the place where you would go for knowledge. So before Alexandria was even a thing in Egypt, because that's kind of way, way, way at the end. Uh, and like way, way, way before all of the various Ptolemies were around, uh, Heliopolis was the place to like learn about science, astronomy, and history. Uh, and actually a lot of the information in the library of Alexandria concerning the history of the, the dynasties in Egypt came from Heliopolis because they had such a complete record. Um, and, I love that. That's really interesting. Yeah. 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 And actually it, they almost suffered like a library of Alexandria type fate because when they decide, well, when um, Akhenaten decided that they were only going to worship the sun destroyed just a shit ton of temples and uh you know like libraries and rectories and things like that um and sort of kept heliopolis because it was devoted to the old version of the sun god and he was like yeah close enough uh y'all can say god i guess yeah really though because we really wouldn't know much of anything about egyptian history except for sort of the later dynasties if it didn't happen to be in Heliopolis. Uh, so, but partially the reason for this was because in order to properly worship the sun, you had to have people there on site who were keeping track of the movements of the sun, as well as everything else through the heavens. Uh, so timekeeping is a huge part of sun worship and it's where we originally get like the the sort of early release version of the 365 day 24 hour setup i Uh, just feel like all of those people had to have been like capricorns and virgos i i mean they had i mean they were literally keeping track meticulous track of these things um that's probably mostly just virgos it's just a staff of fucking virgos (laughs) right uh so but it was because the priests would have for every hour they had this thing called the book of hours which that's also a cool band name if you want to use it it's a uh, cool band name, but also not a very creative title for the Book of Hours. <laughs> <laughs> right, but so they had different uh, incantations and offerings that had to be made in each of the hours. So, I mean, it's it's a busy it's a busy job. It's a lot uh, to do. There's a lot to do, and if you honestly think that you get a break from chanting for the sun because it is nighttime, 
then the next bit will certainly upset you uh, <laughs> because it was it was a shift work job uh, because once the sun goes down, now you have to pray for a safe journey through the underworld uh, where literally every night after becoming Osiris uh, gets assaulted by demons and monsters on the journey to the other side of the horizon in the underworld to get reborn in the morning. Um, so very, very busy people in the sun temple. Uh, and also it was a huge drain. Well, I, I guess maybe not really a drain, but it was like a huge percentage of the Egyptian economy was just to, to pay people to be, or I guess maybe you know what I mean. It's like it was devoted to the priesthood. So yeah, that, that's like a big chunk of their operating money. Yeah, it's just so, like paying Virgos to make sure that they're doing the offerings on the hour. Yeah. So I mean, it's and it and it was. It was like a huge part of like the royal taxation system went to because people had to be here twenty four seven, three sixty five, and that's that's on Egyptian sun worship. So. Uh, so, but they had a daily ritual. So, so they would have um, solstices, solstice celebrations, of course. Um, and that was a minor part uh, of the sun worship because it was it was the daily, the daily ritual. It was so important in Egyptian society that even after most of Heliopolis's civilian population had moved on elsewhere and dynastic society in Egypt had all but fallen out of favor. There were still priests working day and night to keep this ritual going. So like straight up to the bitter ends, like we're talking the Greeks have moved in. Alexandria is the new capital. Like it's over people like Cleopatra been dead. Okay. Like it's done. Uh, (laughs) But they're not quitters, man. Virgos aren't going to fucking quit. There's still work to be done. There is still work to be done. and But it's really a testament to the belief that the uh, the daily ritual was the most important. So, like, even after they were not doing, like, raw at the solstice, it was like they were still there, like, every hour, on the hour, doing the shit. Um, trying to stay... But, so, they really... And this is where, you know, it's like that there's... Speaking of Virgos, there's like a there's like a neurotic element to this because uh, they had this idea uh, called Matt, which is spelled with two A's. Just you know, for anyone out, two A's and one T, uh, which is the balance of the entire universe. And they really thought that if they stopped even for a day, that the whole universe would fall out of balance. Uh, okay, well, I just have to say that um, you just said speaking of neurotic and Virgos like continue but you've been seen <laughs> you've been got got okay uh <laughs> but while we're on the topic of the more traditional raw worship i do have to mention something that i thought was very cute about the diurnal ritual uh and so it was a thing that all of the temples would have statues that represented the god or goddess that the temple was for. So uh, at the Ra temple specifically, they would take the Ra statue inside at sunset and feed it 
and basically like tuck it in for the night, which just seems like a very sort of tender thing to do. Oh my God, like a little raw baby doll. I know. And then, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cute. And I, ju- I just kind of imagine like the sun priest, you know, giving Ra like a little kiss on the forehead. Um, and I that, imagine you're right. I think it's it's not canonical, but I think I think it happens. So it's canonical in my heart, <laughs> right? Uh, so this form of sun worship continues for literal thousands of years. But of course, the political power in Egypt, the pharaohs, they wanted in on the action. So uh, it at first, you know, the sun iconography for the pharaohs sort of connected them symbolically with Ra in that they ruled over the two kingdoms the way that Ra ruled over the cosmos and the gods, right? So it's like a, it's a symbolic connection, um, which eventually turned into, oh, we're actually descended from Ra, which is, uh, you know, reaching a bit. It's almost like people in power always just make up that they're related to, like, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But eventually that turned into all the other gods are fake. Aten, which was the new version of the sun god, uh, is the true sun god, and he's my dad. So, (laughs) uh, and while the interesting thing about this is that it technically spawned the world's first monotheistic religion. So that's cool, I guess. That's interesting, but man, the fucking ego. Right. And they they made some really great sun disc art. So, you know, maybe not a total loss, but it didn't catch on. Uh, I would say it probably has a lot to do with the sort of megalomania of it all. Uh, I mean, it's it really you just sort of have to imagine being like a like a normal citizen, and you have this like lunatic pharaoh who's like, I'm basically the sun god now, and destroys a bunch of important temples, ruins a bunch of ancient tombs and art, and I mean, I, it's kind of easy to see why it wasn't more popular. I mean, uh, so they had a Trump. Yeah, they had like Donald Trump. Uh, oh my god. And, of Ugh. course, so then you have poor King Tut, like, the, the the baby king, after Akhenaten, you have Tutankhamen, which, wow, what a mess he had to clean up. And he was, like, 10. So, uh, just basically was like, no, we're just gonna go back now. Um, yeah, we don't have to do that anymore. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> a big old JK, JK, we're gonna moonwalk out <laughs> right, of this one. Right. Boop, boop. Uh, so I do think I just want to pop in and say I think it's like such an important reminder that King Tut was a fucking child. Yeah. Because poor... so many people, I think for some reason, that's like something that people don't always realize. But right. yeah, literal child. Literal child. Uh, very, you know, an inbred to poor guy. Uh I mean, so, like they did back then. But, but if you I, ever have a chance to go see any of like the touring exhibitions of stuff when King Tut's um, like artifacts and things leave Egypt, I've gotten to see some of them and it's so cool. And so worth so, doing. And they're so old. Like that's always so cool when you're like, wow, 
that's so fucking old. Like, why? I know. It's, why, why is it so? It's like you could literally show me a brick and be like, "This is a five thousand year old brick," and I'd be like, "That's so cool." It's, it's so because we old. live in the United States, where the oldest things were built in the fucking fifties. Right. It's like uh, people in Europe have houses that are older than our entire fucking country. They, that they do. That they really do. Because everyone watching... has a castle in Europe, right? All of our European listeners. That's what I heard. Well, it's, it's it's like you say that, but it's like, I literally was watching House Hunters and the episode was in Spain and the building they were in was built in like the 1600s. It was a modern apartment, but it's like that building is older than this country. So, yeah, uh, that's so wild. So, kind of moving towards the the end here with the egyptian sun worship i i had some sort of like leftover egyptian sun worship tidbits so these are just some some interesting bits you guys uh so for instance sun worship was such a big deal in egypt that one of the biblical plagues was literally an eclipse very symbolic of their their whole vibe being sun worshipers and also speaking of the Bible, which we love, uh, <laughs> the, the, the golden cow that the Hebrews are worshiping after Moses comes down from the mountain with the, uh, the Ten Commandments definitely has some like sun worship symbolism to it, you know, because gold was like a big vibe. And, you know, like, the bull and the horns, you know, they were, they sacrificed bulls a lot uh, to all of the Egyptian gods, but sometimes to the sun. It's a thing. Um, So, yeah, moving on, though. Moving on from that. And sort of in the same vein, though, I do think it's interesting that the sun god is a three-aspected creator god, a.k.a. a trinity, who created himself and is also his own father. Which sounds very familiar uh, to to um, some other guy that I've heard of. To some other guy who maybe is in that book, The Bible, you were just talking about how much yeah, we love. Yeah, yeah, we love it. We love The Bible. <laughs> uh, so finally, uh, so all you astrology nerds out there actually have Egyptian sun worship to thank for our modern version of horoscopic astrology. That's right, people. Because the Egyptians divided the sky into 10 degree decans to keep track of which constellation the sun was coming up in each day. So you have sort of three of these decans per month. And the sun would rise for 10 days in a row in the little, the little spot. Um, and this method was combined with Babylonian astrology during a Persian invasion of Egypt uh, and the Greek astrology planetary ruler system. This all kind of came together in Alexandria and sort of coalesced into a very, very, very close to version of what we use today. So, uh, and 
it can only happen in Egypt, you guys. Uh, <laughs> it can only happen in Egypt. And then a few, you know, yada yada years later, people will suddenly decide that astrology is definitely the thing they're going to use to try and figure out how to prevent and cure the Black Plague. Right. Not what the Egyptians had in mind. <laughs> but they, they tried it. They really did. Uh, and oh, an- before, before I move on to talking about Horus, another fun bit here was that they thought the passage of the sun through the sky was Ra in a golden boat. So the underside of the boat is what we see when we look at the sun. Uh, And the connection to gold. That's a dope boat. That's a dope boat, first of all. But so the connection to gold and the sun was really to blame for, like, the outrageous hordes of golden artifacts we see in Egyptian tombs because they really, really wanted to get into that, like, raw space, you know? Like, high-ranking, like, pharaohs and priests were said to ride on the boat with Ra as part of their afterlife. Uh, Yeah, if you've ever been to, like, any museum exhibition about Egypt, like half of it at least is going to be gold and a a fun fact about that though was that and i didn't know this egypt was rich in gold before they made a bunch of shit out of it uh so they were literally like oh the bronze age bronze is for peasants like (laughs) bronze is so last season like, we're gold people, so please <laughs> please do not bother us with your presence again. Thank you so much. Uh, but, so that kind of brings me to Horus. So, we've already done an episode about Osiris. Well, no, we've done Isis, and then I think Osiris is coming up. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we did Isis, which has which nothing is, to Which is, I mean, Osiris is obviously very prominent. Yes. In the and, ISIS story. And, and I mean, Osiris is prominent in this story. But so in order to properly tell the story of Horus, who was the Egyptian god of the sky and kingship, we do have to look, do a little bit of the story of Osiris. Um, so because Osiris is Horus's father, who was brutally murdered by his uncle, Set. Uh, so I use the term father here loosely. Well, you'll see later on. But so. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's like kind of a spoiler, but also not if you've listened to our ISIS episode. But right. yeah, the murder of Osiris was real fucking brutal. Like, yeah. not so, a nice way to go. So we have Set and Osiris who are brothers and gods, and they're fighting over the throne of Egypt, which is really like a knockdown, drag out affair. Uh, And so eventually Set gets so power hungry that he completely dismembers Osiris. Uh, So literally tearing him limb from limb in the most brutal way imaginable. Um, But Isis, who was, you know, with Osiris was a goddess with serious magic and a cunning wit. So she figures out a way to put all the pieces back together and bring Osiris back to life long enough for a baby-making quickie. Uh, Except 
there was one piece that didn't make it back because it was eaten by a catfish in the Nile River. And unfortunately, that was Osiris's... His dick! His dick. <laughs> so, uh, she had to get crafty and make one herself, which is why the lineage of Horus isn't exactly so straightforward. Uh, and, you know, rabbit, rabbit trailing aside, I want to know the rest of the story about the catfish. Uh, does it become immortal? Does it now have, like, crazy sexual powers because it ate a god dick? Uh, was this the first time in history that anyone ate a dick? These are important questions, but we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if, you, um, if you're interested in learning more about Isis, I just looked up. It's our Beltane episode. Oh, It's when we covered her back in April. Very good watching my back moment, Shannon. Uh, so yeah, Isis was definitely pregnant at this point, though. And she knew that it was not going to go well with old Seti boy, that Osiris had an heir. And it really complicated his plans to be the pharaoh. Uh, so she did what any good mom would do. And she hid and she raised Horus basically in the wilderness around the Nile in the marsh, if you will. But uh, it ended up being a good thing for everyone involved because fighting off like cobras and hippos and crocodiles and other scary wilderness shit provided the training that Horus would need later on to eventually fight Set. So now Egypt has a new god in town and he needs like a designation or, or a job. So we end up with Horus as the god of the sky but also the god of kings. So it's like uh, the literal and figurative meanings of above you all rolled into one. You kind of see what they did there. It's like the sky is above you, literally, but the king is above you socially. So he's all about upward mobility. And um, he was commonly depicted with the head of a falcon, so you get it, sky, birds, you're getting, you're sort of getting the picture here. And um, so each eye of the falcon, uh, one is the sun and one is the moon. And just to clarify here, the sun is still the domain of Ra. Uh, Horus is sort of seen as an aspect of Ra. Osiris is as well, which we kind of go over. So um, sort of an intermediary of the sun's power, not the, which is also seen as like the right to rule. It's, it's kind of like a pope. Yeah, he's like the pope and Ra yeah. is just God. Yeah. Uh, but, so, but put a pen in the eye thing, because that is going to be important later on. Uh, the sun and the moon, I think. So we're all set up here for what they call the contendings of Horus and Set. And so this is like a hugely epic myth that also sort of serves, a lot of historians think, as a, a mythological framework for the unification of the two kingdoms. So you have the Upper Nile, the desert kingdom near Nubia, which is sort of where, uh, not Syria, the uh, Sudan is now um and the 
lower kingdom, which is where the Nile Delta is and where like Cairo and the pyramids are today. So if you're, if you're thinking about it, I, cause I always get the, get it kind of mixed up. The, the upper kingdom is the Southern one because I would call, I would call the, the, but they, they had their map turned around. So if they, if they drew a map of Egypt, the ancient Egyptians, they would have Cairo on the bottom, Nubia on top. So they thought it was the lower, the lower kingdom. Uh, but that's not super important. Just a little. Uh, it's like an upstage, downstage type situation. Yes, it's an upstage, downstage situation. Uh, that is a very good example. Um, so we got Horus in the lower kingdom. We've got Set in the upper kingdom. Um, and we also, it should be pointed out that Set was also just the god of deserts in general. So, which kind of feels like a, like kind of feels like a leg up in Egypt. Well, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because it's a desert now, but it was a lot lusher back in the day. So it's that's like, fair. That's fair. Uh, you know, desertification is a real thing. Uh, the Sahara Desert even before like deforestation uh, was a very fast growing desert um, sort of naturally uh, it's, it, it is what it is uh, because it, it's uh, it's just a bunch of old ocean bottom that's been pushed up and uh, it's Sandy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause I think it's like, they were saying like, it's, it started a long time ago, but it was kind of, it's like a slow path to it all being a desert. Right. Uh, Which is why we have to take care of the planet, y'all. It's not going to fucking turn around overnight, but... (laughs) But uh, but so for 80 years, you've got these two duking it out. You've got Set and you've got Horus, and they're trying to, you know, one king to rule them all, right? Uh, And it it gets dirty. And so this is kind of where I'm going to throw in a little content warning, because this myth features a lot of excitement you sploosh uh, so uh in the beginning you have set trying to prove he's the alpha by seducing horus and having his way with him which surprisingly works uh, to a certain degree i mean if someone was trying to dethrone me and had murdered my father uh, i probably wouldn't be seduced by them but also that's his uncle as well. So some seriously weird family dynamics going on here. And, uh, you know, of course, this is coming from a culture that also brought you the world's first inbred royal family. Uh, so, you know, maybe not the most surprising thing coming from them. And that's all I've got to say about that. Uh, kind of gross, though. Um, so back to the main story. The seduction plan Again, only kind of works because Horus has the presence of mind, even though he's fucking his murder uncle, uh, to catch the semen with his hand and then throw it in the river, foiling the plan. Uh, It should be noted here that Set did not notice this. It's like big Downton, or not Downton Abbey, Bridgerton. Like big the rake in Bridgerton. Oh yeah. Just throwing it away. Yeah. The, the Duke of Hastings, uh, just yeah. Pulling out early and throwing it off to the side. Uh, but anywho, I set does not notice that he's, uh, been foiled. 
Um, but I, I think another thing to note here, and this is, you know, a, a little homophobic, I think, but the Egyptians thought that semen was poisonous if it went from one man to another. Uh, so, you know, seems a little yeah. homophobic. It's That's like they just did, homophobic. It's like, they, like, it's like yeah. they didn't mind the fucking so much as the cum. So it's like half homophobic, but still. I mean, but maybe also just like someone was just like, ew, no. Um, it was like some some very powerful gay man was like, no, see, it actually becomes poison if you get it on me. So I'm going to need you to keep it clean. Right. Uh, <laughs> so this is where the story gets even weirder. Uh, so because now Horus has to one up Seth. So he comes up with a plan and in some stories, it is Isis's idea. And I, I you know, I feel like uh, considering, all, all things considered, that makes sense to me. But um, the plan is to use Seth's favorite food against him. So Horace goes out and finds some fresh, crisp, delicious lettuce, which I know that's everyone's favorite food is lettuce. So, um, but keeping with the theme he proceeds to smear his own excitement goo all over the lettuce. And, you know, talk about a creamy Caesar salad, am I right? Oh my god, I'm gonna yak. So, but apparently, Seth didn't notice. Uh, And I'm sure at some point, he was like, this salad dressing is weird, but he kept eating anyway. Um, so anyway, now he's pregnant. Uh, and so for all the kids home listening, yes, this is where all babies come from. Tainted, filthy lettuce. And that that is canonical. So, Ew. See, one more reason to just not eat the salad, y'all. <laughs> right. Uh, so, but I would say in any respectable workplace, shenanigans like these would certainly be worthy of a visit to HR. And in a way, this is exactly what happened. So the conflict had gotten so ridiculous at this point that the other gods had to get involved and they formed a council and literally dragged their asses to court. Uh, And that is an episode of Judge Judy that I would love to see. So um, in this trial, Set claims to have dominated Horus uh, remember, he doesn't know about the sneaky jizz throw in the river. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, sneaky jizz throw. That's another good band name. That it really is. Uh, and he also apparently, again, uh, I'm a little surprised, has no idea about the special salad dressing. So, um Oh, God. Anyone that's ever had any cum anywhere near their mouth knows that there's no fucking way he missed that. I I like to think he was like, oh, no. Oh, what's going on? Mm." Anywho. Exactly. uh, Exactly. (laughs) So, but, you know, innocent until proven guilty. uh, He says he doesn't know and that the god should call on his seed to prove it. So the gods, uh, they're they're all powerful beings in their own right. They use their incredible gifts to call the spectral load of Set, which answers back from the river. 
which they all agreed proved nothing except that maybe he fucked a river. Um, so I like that maybe him fucking a river is like a genuine possibility, though. Right. So Horace then decides to call to the witness stand his super secret surprise witness, his ghost load. So the other gods find this highly unorthodox, but allow it. And uh, they do the second splooge seance of the day. And big surprise, it turns out Set is practically stuffed with Horace's baby powder and is pregnant. So they open him up to figure out what's in there. And they find a gold sun disc, which another god puts on her hat. And it isn't important for the rest of the story. But it did prove, once and for all, who came inside who, which decided the fate of who was entitled to the throne to rule over Egypt. And uh, this was all reenacted every year at the Festival of Victory, where sometimes the pharaoh himself would play the part of Horus, and a hippo would play set and get harpooned. Uh, so, of course, a lot of times, PETA, don't come at me. Don't don't come after the ancient Egyptians. Uh, it was just a priest acting on behalf of the pharaoh. And a lot of times the hippo wasn't actually harmed. It was just um, movie magic. So some good news there. And uh, speaking of reenactments, there is an alternate version of this story where Set steals Horus's eye... And then Horus steals Set's testicle in retaliation. Oh, like uh, you do. Like you do. An so, eye for a testicle. That's how the saying goes. <laughs> that is exactly how the saying goes. Uh, and so remember, we talked about the falcon's eyes being the sun and the moon. So this story explains the darkening and return of the moon in its phases. So uh, reenacted faithfully every month by the moon the eye gets stolen, which is the dark phase of the moon, and then comes back to the brightness of the full moon. Uh, and they he has to they have to trade back uh, the testicle for the uh, the eye, but that that happens off stage. Um, <laughs> but so the eye version also generates a very powerful symbol of Horus's symbolic lineage leading to the pharaoh, Horus's eye. So that is that iconic eye symbol that you see in, like, every Egyptian thing ever. And also Yu-Gi-Oh! So, <laughs> so next time you see one of those, you know, give a little tip of your hat to Horus for everything he did to make Egypt happen. I mean, he had to come on lettuce. Uh, he had to fuck his uncle. Uh, just lots going on. And um, a final note here uh wash your fucking lettuce people right so you don't just don't just go around picking up random lettuce and eating it i think that is the moral of the story i mean also it's like every fucking e coli outbreak in the past like few years is usually fucking lettuce related it's always lettuce it's always it's always romaine lettuce too so I'm not uh, telling you to get the sandwich instead of the salad, but I'm telling you to get the sandwich instead of the salad. I, especially if you're not making it yourself, ladies. Like, 
Right? Do get you your, really want E. coli? Get your get your act together, okay? <laughs> um, Eric just sent me this like funny meme yesterday. It's just funny. Um, they sent it, and it's it's one of those like Twitter memes. It was like it's awfully rude of you to be eating a salad in front of your house plants. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. Oh but I'm goodness. also very uh, very into the Good Omen style of like plant raising where it's just like if one of them like dies you just show it to the others and tell them they're next if they don't behave oh my goodness Um, yes anyway so today y'all speaking of virgos like we have been a lot this episode i actually did get virgo on my random number generator and today for us i drew broccoli which is about leadership. And I incidentally ate broccoli at lunch. I had one of those like Amy's like broccoli cheddar, like gluten-free pasta bowls. Uh, so, that sounds so good. I it's get, so good. I, I get their, uh, their chili mac one. Oh, the chili Some, mac one is also good. So sometimes. um, <laughs> clearly today is all about broccoli and Virgos. So the the broccoli card means that it's time to take the initiative and step up, y'all. Even if this means throwing your hat into many rings, you know, sometimes with opportunity, you have to like try your hand at a bunch of different things because not everything's going to stick, right? And this is saying don't turn down opportunities, even if there's just an inkling of promise, because there's something like circling you at the moment right now that has a lot of potential, Good luck, growth, health improvements, and physical gains are all possibilities right now, including like moments of passion. So just be careful to ensure that your delegate your delegating is needed. You know, when you're in these moments where it seems like you're throwing your hat into a million rings, you're like doing everything, you're a tap dancing monkey. It's important to also take some time to practice self-care. So just like such a good message for Virgos, especially in like this reopening. Uh, the magical correspondences of broccoli, uh, the deities are Zeus and Jupiter, which I thought was interesting. Celestial, of course, Jupiter, the moon, and it's associated with the signs of Libra and Gemini. And I was like, I never thought about broccoli and Gemini, but now that I look at broccoli, I'm just like, oh, that's a fucking Gemini. Oh my God. Like I can see it. Well, it's right? like, it's like broccoli and cauliflower are Gemini. <laughs> They're such Geminis, but I always love the quote. And the quote in here is plant your own garden and decorate your own soul instead of waiting for someone to bring you flowers. Oh, which I love. And the suggested spell is a leadership spell. So it's also Nick, a candle spell. <gasps> So you're going to unlock opportunities to take the lead and increase luck with this candle spell. So push a tiny key into the top of a thick candle as you tell the candle what you desire. Set the candle upon a safe base and light. You're going to sprinkle the candle with chopped broccoli and leave it to burn completely down and then bury the remains under the largest tree you can find. So I would only do this with beeswax candles. And if you're getting like... don't, Don't bury your like chemical paraffin wax candles yeah your your paraffin wax candle that you have because you you live it down to nappy yeah right no so beeswax only and if you're using a smaller candle instead of putting like a key all the way into the top maybe you can like carve something into it using a key you know these are the ways that I think it's helpful if especially if you're new to the craft to think about ways you can like slightly tweak spells to work with what you have 
So those would be some of the things I would think about there. But yeah, so Virgos, this is a good message for us, but it also feels very right for me with where I'm at at this season in my life. So hopefully it feels right for other Virgo babies out there as well. Oh, yeah. And I also, you know, it's like speaking of broccoli, wash your broccoli too, people. Wash yeah. all wash all your greens. Wash your fruits and veg, y'all. <laughs> Unless you're plucking it from your garden, in which case, like if it's herbs, you should just like wash, like spray them down with water in the morning and then trim them at midday. You're still kind of washing them, but you're you're doing it while they're still connected instead of like squishing up all your herbs afterwards. Yeah, that's, listen to Shannon, people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you're all listening to Shannon if you're listening right now. Yeah, you're I listening just... to us. Right. Because literally that's all you can do. We're in your ears. We're in your ears. But anyway. I, that's the bitter end, you guys. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's it. That's all that's we had. That's it. Not, not a two-hour episode this week, so a little- Only a little, an hour and a half. A little break for you guys. Uh, right. I, you're welcome. You're welcome. I could have I said more about- I could have said more, too. About ancient Egyptian jizz, but- uh, uh, Peppers is a very big topic- um, I'm sure we will at some point revisit like more specific types of peppers, but I hope that people thought it was a good intro and I'll definitely share some pictures of like, I've got a baby mammoth jalapeno that's like an inch long right now. And he's so cute. And I'm just so excited for him to get big so I can eat him. Um, but we always love hearing from you guys. We have had a few new Instagram followers still this week. It feels like people are steadily coming in. So thank you. You can always find us on Wands and Fronds Pod on Instagram. And we're also at wandsandfrondspod at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. Uh, Nick has like very specifically requested a salacious email. So someone like get your like dirty summer romance novel writer self out of the closet and send Nick something spicy or a gross story. I've been into that lately Ooh. too. Like when my friends tell me like a really gross story about something that happened, like I, I love that. Um, I can use that for something. I'm sure. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Nick will just have to proofread those because I'm down for most gross stories, except for I can't do spit something about it. It like, I just gagged thinking about it. Um, weird shannon things that you sure, learned yeah. about uh, um <laughs> but so so uh, you know but it's also important you guys if you cannot send us a racy email and i personally think you have the time uh you could you could like you, uh, you could follow us wherever you're listening to this you can download the episode and um you can send us money I mean, I would not say no to that. Uh. <laughs> right. Uh, my cat was just diagnosed with diabetes, so I'm about to be poor until the end of time because turns out insulin's just as expensive for pets. Uh, we're always down for money, but no, seriously, we are thinking about starting a Patreon. That's been something we've been talking about maybe doing at the one year mark. And so if you guys have thoughts, opinions, I know we have a handful of listeners that are super badass and y'all have been with us from the beginning. And if you have any ideas or content you'd like to hear about on a Patreon, definitely let us know. We make this stuff for you guys. Um, but yeah, I guess until next time, what do we say to all of the uh, all of the spicy summer bitches out there, Nick? Oh, to all of the spicy sun worshiping summer bitches, I say blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. Thank you.
an eye for a testicle. That's how the saying goes. <laughs>